The views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheel buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Good morning, Southern Arizona, and the rest of you out there in cyberspace. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show, right here on ESPNTucson.com. 1490 AM on your radio dial, or 104.9 FM on your radio. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host. Uh, and riding shotgun with me, thank goodness, is Jim Mooney, Frontier Towing. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, everybody out there in cyberspace, Spotify, or whatever technical media you're listening to us on. We do not do smoke signals. So if you're trying to get us through the smoke signal app, we are not on the smoke signal app at this point in time. <laughs> I'm on the radio this morning, so it is a super safe Saturday. That means slow down, move over, no texting and driving, no drinking, and today is a U of A tailgating day, so that goes in particular. Have fun at the U of A tailgating at what's the game started, like 8 o'clock tonight, so if all you out there tailgating this morning, remember, you got to go home, and going home is the key, so make sure you're super safe out there today. Ooh, right. <clears throat> Y'all have, excuse me, I got a little frog in my throat this morning. Uh Jim, what? Uh, how did last weekend go with the Labor Day? I mean, was it tragic, or did everybody kind of make it through? Well, they, they all made it through. There was a couple incidents, but not too bad. Uh, there's a, there's a, you know, most people were busy on Friday trying to get their get their plan their trips planned out kind of carried over a little bit into the Saturdays, so they weren't doing too bad. Sunday was a pretty slow day. Monday was was pretty pretty uneventful until you get to Monday night. Then, it, of course, it, everything picked back up again because everybody's on their way home. A lot of traveling, um, but I think we did pretty good for the um, Labor Day stats. Uh, nobody, no no issues that I know of that were, were, were horribly tragic, thankfully. Um the um well a lot of um people were looking for you know um uh, as they're trying to get out of town you know there's a lot of no start conditions you know just when you want, think you're going to get ready to get on the road and go you have a no start condition and that's always a frustrating issue um batteries batteries are still you know coming off the summer heat they're 
they're a little they're a little worn so they you know so that that makes it a little challenging for people to get going you know you think you're going to get this to happen and it just and it just doesn't work for you today but for the most part things kind of kicked her off on a pretty straight value <coughs> well good at least at least hopefully all I've made it out and back without you know too much injury or too many fender benders or anything, but if you do have a fender bender, just keep in mind Spectre Minor Road Auto Collision 744-4454 they're located 4425 West Niner Road for all your body work body repairs, paint jobs, detailing or anything on the automobile as far as making it pretty or, you know, just keeping it, keeping it pretty or straighten a fender out getting up sun blisters off the top of it and you know they just do everything everything is computerized match painting anymore at your bigger shops uh, which spectrum is one of them uh, they can take a shot of whatever's on your car and match it uh, via computer which is a super way to go that's the best invention i've ever heard of in the automotive industry um and it works it works uh They've been around 2018-19. They voted best in the state of Arizona. Uh, so they've been around. They've been there and done that and have the T-shirt. So Spectre Minor Road Auto Collision over on 4425 West Ina Road. Um, I had the privilege of dealing with Merle's this past week. And, I, you know, when you're looking for a part, and it's on a weekend or during the week or you're a do-it-yourselfer, a part-time do-it-yourselfer, and you get into this stuff, and with the supply chains and the complications of finding the right parts, getting the right parts, getting a good quality part anymore, you can go to the casino and throw dice and come up about the same results. Uh, the only difference is if you go to Merle's, then they can help you. <laughs> so it takes some of the rolling the dice out of it and saves you a lot of aggravation. So if you do need parts to fix your car this weekend while you're playing with it, Merle's, go to merlesauto.com uh, on your computer, your smartphone, find out the location the closest to you, whether it be on in- – They've got like 10 locations in Tucson and around, uh, inside of Tucson and around. And uh, they've got them at Green Valley. They've got them at uh, Casa Grande. Uh, down south, Fort Huachuca area, Sierra Vista, uh, Safford. They've just got them all over. And then they got the Monster Wirehouse over on South Dodge Boulevard, just south of uh, Frontier Towing, actually about, uh, what, 300 yards, 200 yards, something like that, Jim? Yeah, super convenient Big for us. Complex. We don't have to... We don't have to warehouse... Yeah, we don't have to warehouse anything. We can just go down there. And those guys down there are really knowledgeable. You know, you'll go in there and you'll see... You'll try to, you know, take in a part and they'll be able to identify it and figure it out what, what you're looking for and then... In the multiple, they have multiple supplier lines, you know, and then they can check inventories. For example, if they have have actually had it at a store, they don't have it at the warehouse. They might have it at a store, and they can bring it back, or you can drive over and get it. So yeah, pretty pretty knowledgeable guys. And over what's there. cool about it? <laughs> they they also have white box uh, stuff, which is OE parts and uh, original equipment parts, and so you you never. 
you just really don't know how big your inventory is until, well, don't worry about how big your inventory is. It's, it's a little more. I, 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 if I had plenty of time, I could count maybe that far, but I don't think so. Not since computers are in. They've, they've got access to just millions of parts. So if you do need a part, you don't know exactly what you've got. Plus, those guys are pretty sharp, too. If you go in and you're working on a, a piece of electronic something, or you've got a timing belt you want to replace, or you've got a timing chain you're working on if you're a garage, or if you're a brave individual that's got plenty of time on your hands on the weekends and got a nice place that you can put the vehicle so that the sun don't melt you while you're working, uh, when you're when you're buying a part, if they suggest, okay, well, you're you're buying this timing chain, and there's a, such a thing as a timing chain kit, if you're putting in a serpentine belt, they actually have a little kits that they figured out that you're going to need. It's smart to replace at the same time that you replace your belt. So when they're telling you this, don't think that they're just trying to bump up the sale on you. Think of it as you're already there. These things is a wear item, normal wear item, and why not replace it? Springs lose their tension. They do on valves. They do on coil springs on front of vehicles. They lose their spring tension. Leaf springs lose their tension. So there's a lot of stuff that they remember because they deal with it on a daily basis that you really, you know, you never give it a second thought because, ah, that's not what you're working on anyway. But when they do make these recommendations, give it at least a second thought before you say, no, I just want the belt. I don't want the tensioners and stuff to keep everything running right, keep everything aligned right. I just want the belt. So give it a second thought. You know, they're not trying to hose you. They're trying to make sure that when you get through with the job, that you're actually through with the job and it's done properly. So just a good place. Yeah. Uh, you know, Simmons uses them. Parker uses them. Jim uses them. My Lord, automotive specialty uses them, <clears throat> and I'm still having a problem you know with fraud. Uh, <laughs> and you know what's really great ahead, about them, Jerry, is you know we we, we have a uh, everybody likes to look at YouTube to figure out you know the little tricks of of, of the trade, or somebody might have this little quick little. A tip to help you do a change. So, for example, the timing belt. You know, oh well, if you're you're working on a Nissan pickup or a Chevy pickup, and it's a, you know, hey, take off the shroud here first, and then take out the. You know, you're trying to work on a Chevy, and you need to pull the fan clutch off. And you can't get the fan clutch off. There's guys a little tip about you know, tapping on it. You know, tapping on the on the fan or something to make it to unthread correctly. Um, one thing that's nice about when you go to Merle's, if you're looking for your part. You know, they can actually talk back to you. They can actually have a conversation with you. So when you're asking them about, hey, look, here's here's what I'm trying to do, and they got the they can actually converse with you so that you can have a successful event. You know, and little the YouTube guy who just tell you what to do, and then but you can't ask him any questions. I mean, you can put a post. Well, that really is not real helpful when you're standing outside trying to figure out how to put how to put the timing chain on, and you can read that a million times, and they. Uh, but the guy behind the counter can say, well, here's the deal. We've sold about 10 billion of these. And everybody who comes through here has come back and bought this other little part because they found it beneficial to the repair of the truck. So if you take this, you can actually get to, you don't have to come back. No, it's not that we don't like to see you come back, but why make two trips if you don't have to? 
coupled by the fact that I've exactly. I've bought from Earl's for thirty years, and um, I bought from other parts houses too. They're cheaper than Checker or O'Reilly's and AutoZone. They're cheaper every single time. I've I've never I've never paid more at um, at, at Merle's versus Pine and at O'Reilly's or or uh, at AutoZone. Just saying. So if when everything gets done, said and done, and you're like, well, I could get you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the guy's knowledgeable and he's cheaper. Right? What do you what do you want? You know, <laughs> there's, there's you know the, the and they're close. They got stores everywhere, like Jerry said. So <laughs> it seems pretty easy. Now, your only caveat is Sunday kind of sucks because they don't—they're not there on Sundays. But you know, that being said, you get to experience the the other guys' price price uh, increase. So, good place well, to go. Good place I, to go. Good I, people I like to deal with. Yeah. <clears throat> well, he cuts down the aggravation and anything in the automotive industry now. For ones of you that are not familiar with the automotive repair industry. There is nothing simple anymore about the automobile except get put pumping gas in it is really not that complicated. Um, and if you own an electric vehicle, plugging it in is not that complicated. Once you get past that level, uh, you're, you're let's go with tires. You're, you've got to got to watch your tires now. And you need to make sure that your spare tire has air in it. Now, there's construction going on all over southern Arizona. I mean, I was out last week. In fact, I took my diesel out and just said, okay, I'm on a cruise and see what they've done to this town. Holy crap. I thought I was going to have to use my GPS to get back to my house. I couldn't. I mean, every, the landscape has changed. They've got beautiful, big commercial buildings up now. They've got roads are, are gradually improving. The rain has taken its shot at a lot of potholes and stuff to the point that I was driving the other day and I seen a traffic cone sitting in a pothole. <laughs> I don't know who done it, but somebody must have hit that pothole at, that was in a construction business or something that had a cone in the back of his truck. But he put that cone right in the middle of that uh, pothole, and believe it or not, the cone didn't even fill up the pothole. I mean, it was too wide. But somebody's thinking out there, and I'm sure by the time the, that the police officers and deputies, sheriff's deputies run, running around town, seeing that, they probably called it in. Uh, if you do spot a big pothole out, uh, go ahead and call Transportation Department down in Tucson <clears throat> and report it. And because that that gets to be kind of rough on these lightweight suspension vehicles. I mean, when you hit that thing, it'll jar your teeth out. And it can it is when you put thirty five hundred pounds of car and it hits an abrupt object. It's kind of like hitting a uh, you know these concrete parkers in a parking lot. I mean, they they can do some damage to the suspension on that car. They not just knock it out of alignment. They can knock it out of the line, but that's a catch-all. The real damage is done when you start bending the lightweight parts that they put under there so that you can keep the car lightweight so it can get better fuel economy. So when you hit a hole like that, don't assume that you skated without any damages. 
you know, if you're next time you go into a tire shop, if you have to go into a tire shop or if it starts pulling to the left or right, right after you hit it, and it wasn't doing that until you hit the pothole, then you've knocked it out of alignment, whether it be you've been apart under it, uh, but it's out of alignment. It needs to be taken care of. And they things break, okay, especially when you're running on roads that are uh, coming apart. And I don't. I used to get well. Why don't they just fix these? Well, you can drive around town, and with as much road construction going on in Tucson, get the roads get hot. I mean, they get hot enough to melt, and so. When it, then it rains, the road is cracked. The rain goes inside the cracks and starts building up these low areas. You come along or I come along with an 8,000-pound vehicle and hit something like that. It compresses the water in the cracks based on the 8,000-pound truck it just run across it, and it tries to implode. It pushes the concrete, the asphalt up. And then it starts, and then when Jim comes along with his, uh, wh- how much your trucks weigh? Forty thousand. Uh, the little trucks weigh uh, seventeen, and the big trucks weigh uh, forty-five. So the hydraulic okay. pressure. So that you're either one about Jerry. Either <laughs> either one of those trucks, when it hits a pothole that's full of water, and when it rains, it rained here last night. Not not much, about a tenth of an inch. Beautiful rain, and um, but it fills up the little little potholes, and then you hit it with your car because at night it looks normal. I mean, it it just you don't realize that, or, or it's a different route you took going back home or something. And you hit these things, and that road just continues to erode. And next time you hit that pothole, it's a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger. First thing you know, you go, what in the world is going on here? That's the reason you do the alignment check a minimum of once a year. It has to be checked because with four-wheel drive, four-wheel independent suspension, uh, electric drive, uh, everything is is involved in this thing. You know, the computer knows when the tires on a these electric machines, these computerized gadgets on wheels, when the alignment is out, the computer, the special electric stir, it records it, and it knows what the parameters are supposed to be and when it's out. So when you go in and you have a set of tires put on it and your front end alignment is still is out or your all-wheel alignment is out, uh, the computer sensors pick it up and you still have to, actually you have to do everything including reset the sensors for the electric stir. So it's not like the old 1995 alignment check used to be. These things are sophisticated and it takes a lot of good equipment in order to find the problem. Brian Fuller has the big machine. Parker Automotive has the big machine. Simmons has the big machine. That's the three that I know for sure that has it. And a lot of other independent garages have wound up going to it because they know what the necessity is and what the demand is to keep these cars on the road and keep them on the road safely. Um, you got anything you want to add to that, Jim? <clears throat> Oh yeah, when you're the 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 front end alignment, you know today with uh, uh, energy efficient cars, 
Well, let's go with that a- angle. Energy efficient cars. Uh, everything is hydraulic. Hydraulic powered components are, are going away. So there's no such thing as hydraulic steering anymore. It's all electric. It's electric steering. And electric electric rack and pinions are very susceptible to side impacts, uh, uh, pothole damage. That that shock load on the electric gear is is much greater to the to the rack and pinion than than a hydraulic unit. And the reason why is because even the hydraulic system can take a little bit of a shock. You know, so it's, the hydraulic system. Well, when you when you turn the wheel, the hydraulic fluid moves, so there's a little bit of a cushion, not much, but a little bit. With the electric gear, there's no cushion. It's it's rack on pinion, and when that thing gets out of whack and breaks or throws a sensor out of line, and what is there, 15 sensors on the rack and pinion, so it knows exactly where you're at, tells you what you're doing, what your what your angle is, what the thrust angle is. I mean, it calculates every steering geometry in, on the planet today. Um, as you're driving down the road, so it so it knows how to stay in the lane. So, like Gary said, these are very very sophisticated uh, systems, and you're not just going to go out there and the old uh, the old guy years ago. <laughs> I'll never forget this. He was he worked at um, El Campo. Oh, Jerry can remember the El Campos like I can because they were a store back many years ago. And his his famous thing for oh, front yeah. alignment: set set the toe, let it go. You know that's, that doesn't happen. You can't just go in there and take a tent measure and, and set the toe on the on the front end and, and think it'll be okay. Doesn't work that way. It's impossible to do today. There's too many. Although the angles haven't changed any, but the the monitoring of it has, and the lightweight components that exist. It used to be we would see cars that would get in a collision, like a curb hit or pothole damage, for that matter, and they would, you know, they take a hit, and they, they, you might see some damage. Tire today, tires are, are, are damaged. I'll hit that in a second. Um, but you'd see it. You'd see a car, and it might it might have a little bit of variance. And well, I, it feels weird when I drive it, but I'll go ahead and, you know, maybe I should just get it towed because I don't want to take a chance. Today, that's not the case. We see tires that are just ripped off. The front ends that are just gone. The tires completely removed, just shredded off the front suspension from very small collisions, small small impacts with with uh, road conditions, uh, small impacts with curbs, uh, small impacts with other vehicles. So just the the, the suspension is just obliterated, and for a couple reasons. One, it's, it's significantly lighter than it used to be for for gas mileage. Also. Aids in the in the um, crumple zone effect. So, if um, if we're going to divert energy from a crash away from the passenger's compartment, so we protect the passenger, we're going to start. We're going to develop a, a system that allows us to have parts that easily remove, so that the energy is 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 directed away. So, a wheel that comes off, that energy is now moving away from the vehicles, not into the not thrust into the passenger's compartment causing the passenger's damage, right? So it's part of the design. Right. But by the same token, you it, it makes your repairs ten times worse. So when you have that big hit, um, you have that hit that pothole that you know, like has, the, has the parking code in it, um, all of a sudden you're looking at a lot of repair, a lot of, a lot of extensive repair. And not just not just expensive repair, expensive recalibrations, uh, 
for sensors, you know, hopefully, but potentially airbag replacement. Those are all the things that come into play. On top of the fact that now we have tires today, which are, I don't know what it is with tires, but they seem like they're like the worst that they've ever been. They have very, they, they, they expire right away. Used to be you could have a tire, and even though the OEM would recommend that you don't run the thing after three or five years, eh, you know, it, it probably worked okay. Today, you get a, car, a tire that's three years old, it's not, it's, it's falling apart, the treads are separating, the belts are going apart inside, and when you hit one on a deep pothole or a curb, you can immediately see damage to that tire. So they call it a bruise. So now, now you have belt separations, you have uh, sidewall belt tearing, um, you have um, a tire that's compromised, so as it's rolling down the road, and like Jerry said at the beginning of the show, the asphalt's just screaming hot. It's just, it's almost melting hot. And what do you think the tire's doing? It's, it's, lying, it's, it's running on the road. It's hot. The air inside that thing is, is, if you took it out, it would be burn your hands. It's so hot. So now you're trying to do that at 70 miles an hour with a tire that has some damage on the side. You know, the tire itself is going, hey, I can't, um, I'm not working up to my full par, so I'm going to go ahead and fail. And now, now you have a tire failure. And then you realize that in the back of your car you have a thick can of fix a flat and an air pump. And as, as you look at the shredded tire, <laughs> you're just thinking, well, that's not a good idea. But that's what we get today. That's how, that's how we save gas, by, by stripping down every, every amenity that we could possibly have on the car. So we have we have Wi-Fi on our car, but we don't have a spare tire. Okay, I guess that's the trade-off you want. I guess that's a good idea. <laughs> Not my particular idea of a good trade-off. <laughs> you know. So, well, uh, Wi-Fi Jim, you have to admit a computer chip a computer chip weighs less than a spare tire. That's so, true, Jerry. So you can have your Wi-Fi, and hopefully you've got a cell phone charger. In the car, which you do, it, on your it, on most of your late model cars, you have a plug-in where you can hook up your cell phone and charge it. And so hopefully you've got your cell phone with you and you have um, uh, a way to call somebody to come and get you because it'll leave you sitting. Hopefully. And I will say it again. If, if I'm going to run to some place like North, Nevada, or Albuquerque, or Colorado, or something like that, and I know that the only spare tire that I have is a can of fix-a-flat, I'm going to go find somebody like uh, uh, Jeff over at uh, Jeff's Auto Recyclers, and I'm going to find me a spare tire, and that is, and I'm going to have my spare, spare tire sitting in the trunk on top, right along with the, the bottled water that I'm carrying extra and my little emergency road kit that I carry extra. And I'm going to make sure that I have a jack that I can jack the car up <clears throat> and change the tire when I'm out on the road because I know that a can of fix-a-flat will not fix a tire that's not even existing anymore. It's not going to do it. You cannot just strap that bottle of Victor <laughs> flat on the rim and make it work. Um, so yeah, that that's a little extra that I I highly recommend. And anybody that's run across country and they got brand new tires on the car and they said, "Wow, there's nothing going to happen." Oh yeah, 
I had a brand new set of tires on a dually, and I run across a hay pick laying in the road on the inside dually on the tire that was exactly two weeks old. And it took that tire, it, I mean, it's a big 10-ply, and it took it right down flat, nothing flat, nothing. I mean, the time was just right now. And so things can happen out on the road. You have collisions all the time, and Jim and them do a good job at cleaning up the road. Uh, but you can't, you can't, you can't predict what's going to happen out there. And I've said a hundred thousand times, if you could predict what's going to happen to you, you wouldn't even need insurance. You would already planned it out and you will know exactly what's going to happen. And therefore, do I need insurance or do I not need insurance? And so things happen. So, uh, protect yourself and, and go with that little, okay, what happens if, what happens if I have a flat tire? That's just like uh, driving your electric vehicle from here to California. Hey, you've got to have an infrastructure, some way to plug it in uh, to recharge it up. So why would you leave Tucson, Arizona, an electric vehicle, not knowing where your next uh, service station is, your electric service station is going to be? And that's the same thing you do when you're planning with your tires. Because I've been out on the road and blew tire and then blew another tire and wound up with no spares, and I was in northern Arizona, and I run across a little wrecking yard on the side of the road, and so I had to buy two used tires because they didn't have any new tires, and that's how I lent that thing back to Tucson. So just pre-plan your trip. Uh, GPS is really good, uh, but if you can afford a road map, Get you a little road map as a backup, throw it under the storage area in the back seat or in the back of your seat that has a little net on it. Put it in there just in case you get out and your battery on your GPS goes dead or your cell phone and you need a way to find out where the heck you're at, then you can always fall back and get a road map. And after about, if you've never seen a road map before, after about 45 minutes later, you'll figure out, okay, here it is. Here, This is where we're at. This is the next road. This is where I need to go. But remember, if you don't have a late model map in there, everything changes. There's a lot of roads and stuff that are still not on GPS, especially in northern Arizona. And you need to have a backup. And for you hunters and campers that run all over the state of Arizona, you already found that out. So uh, just make sure if, you, if you're if you depending on electronics to get you where you're going, you make sure you've got an extra battery pack for your cell phone just in case your vehicle quits and you lose all your electric that you're depending on to charge your cell phone. Buy you a, one of these little battery. I've got two battery backups that I carry with me when I'm on a trip. And it's for that reason, because I can't predict when it's going to go out. I even have a backup CB that plugs into the cigarette lighter um, that I use while I'm out traveling in case I lose cell phone connection. And I need an emergency because you can get on that CB and you can call, uh, uh, I forgot, uh, Channel 9, I think it is, it's emergency. And uh, you can get some help out there. 
But when you're traveling, travel smart. You know, don't just jump in it. Hey, it was running good yesterday. I'm sure it's going to run good tomorrow and day after tomorrow. Uh, if you need, if you can predict that, you're better than I am, man. You're better than anybody I know, in fact. Uh, because automotive, as Brian Fuller would say, these things are computerized vehicles on wheels. They're on a computerized four-wheel machine rolling down the road. And when that stuff starts going out, you're in trouble and you, you know, you just, so you cross your fingers, hope like heck you at least to have cell phones so you can call Frontier Towing at 748-1100 have them come and get you. But always have a plan. Don't leave house without a plan. Don't leave house without water. Don't leave house without a good spare tire. Don't leave house with a, a spare tire with air in it. That's the most common thing we see in the automotive industry because out of sight, out of mind. Some of these spare tires are darn near impossible to get at. Make sure, and then people who put locks on the spare tires, especially on trucks on that are mounted on the bottom, they'll get out. Well, they put that spare tire on. They put that lock on that spare tire four years ago. And the lock is not a seal lock, so anything can get into it. And then you get out. And one one thing that they do is they forget to put the key to the spare tire lock on the ignition key. And that way you'll have it. They'll go out. They'll forget the key to the lock on the back or forget where they hid the key to the spare tire. And... Then they'll get out, and they've got a spare tire. It's even got air in it, and they've got no way to unlock it. And you don't have anything to cut the chain with or the cable with, and you're just stuck. You've got a spare tire that is totally useless. It's just along for the ride and the extra weight, and it just costs you extra money and fuel just to carry the spare tire. So make sure all of that is functional. Make sure you have your jack that's functional. Make sure you know where your lug wrench is. Uh, Just pre-plan. You know, practice. Just practice. Go out on a Saturday morning, turn the radio program on, and listen to us, and just go through your vehicle and say, okay, I'm getting ready to go to um, Las Vegas. Now, is this thing ready to go? And just start looking at it. Start looking at your car. Become familiar with your car. Become familiar with what a major oil looks like, oil leak looks like, or an oil leak does not look like. In other words, you don't have one. But take your flashlight. Make sure you got a couple of uh, flashlights in your dash. You know, they make them little bitty ones. I carry one in my pocket. That's how small it is. And it's halogen. It works great. Those things... A flashlight, and I know you're going to Las Vegas, and you're going to leave early in the morning. Oh, and I'll be there a long time before it gets dark. Yeah, okay. Put your flashlight in your pocket. Put your flashlight in your dash. Put your flashlight under the seat. Throw it in the trunk. Make sure the batteries are good, and check it every once in a while to make sure the batteries hadn't corroded and took out your light source because that is really, really critical when you get to working on a car in the middle of the stinking night and you have a dead flashlight and your backup is also dead because you didn't bother checking it. I mean, not that I've ever done that, but I'm, I'm speaking from experience. How about that? I'll just, I'll just 
speak from experience on this. In search and rescue, we carry three sources of lights every time we get on an animal and go out. I don't care if it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It may be 1130 at night when we get back, or we may be out there all night. You have three sources of lights that we are required to carry in search and rescue. These guys that you see hiking up the trails to come and get you in the afternoon, trust me, they got enough lighting to get them through the next 48 hours. And that's that's one thing that I've learned being in search and rescue. Man, you you got to pre-plan. you got to play the what-if game. What if I blow a tire? What if my fan belt comes off? What if my serpentine belt comes off? What if? And that's the reason you inspect your serpentine belts and these things, and you have regular preventive maintenance done on these things with a competent garage that'll look at this stuff for you and make notes of anything that they find and hand you a piece of paper. So these are the, your, my concerns. These are the things that you need to pay attention to because they're showing some wear now. I don't know how many miles you drive this thing in this week or next week. The average mile is 12,000 miles a year. That's every place that I know of except Tucson. I bet you Tucson's average mileage is around 15,000, 16,000 miles because we drive more out here. We've got further distance to go. So it's just you have to pre-plan. You have to. What would you like to add to that, Mr. Have a super super safe Saturday. Don't get don't get stuck on the road, guy. <laughs> so um, we, uh, don't your, don't your don't GPS. get stuck on the road, guy. Don't get stuck on the road, guy. Uh, what? Uh, back to the GPS. <laughs> um, you, you know, you bring up a great point with the map. Um, we we encounter this frequently. People put. A beginning address in their GPS, they put an ending address in their GPS, and they hit the button, and then they go. They have no idea where they're going. They're, they're letting a computer tell them how to get to where they're going. They couldn't tell you what road they're on. They couldn't tell you what path they're traveling. They can't tell you anything about where they're at because the computer's telling them where to go. Um, so if you're going to travel from here to um, Las Vegas pretty easy trip it's a it's a pretty straightforward trip but if you've never done it and you're just going to let a computer tell you how to get there remember computers can only go can only tell you what you want based on what you tell them so if you make a mistake the computer's going to tell you wrong and you're not going to have a clue of where you're at to figure out how to tell the computer where you really need to go now so like you said jerry pull out that map and look at it and it's a really good idea to look at the map and and look at your travel plan because there's a lot of from here to Vegas there's multiple routes from here to LA there's hundreds of routes that you may or may not want to use you could go a different way because maybe you want to stop at a certain place there's a certain area you want to stop at but if you just stick the stick the data in there and hit the button and assuming it's going to be perfect yeah that's that's really not a good idea. Towed a lot of people from a lot of areas because they followed the GPS, and now they're in the middle of nowhere, and they it's they can't even tell you where they're at. I don't know where I'm at. I'm on the road here. I'm I'm on a road, and it doesn't even have a sign. So a milepost doesn't have a sign. I don't even know what road I'm exactly. on. Exactly. And and that's a really dangerous place to be in. 
now you're if you think you can figure out where you're at, you're trying to look at now you're trying to look at your phone, trying to figure out what road you're on, and you can't see the road or it doesn't tell you the road, and you have to zoom out trying to figure out what the closest road is. Well, the closest road could be 30 miles away. The closest road with a with a name could be 30 miles away, and you're just like, well, if you go on on this road and then you turn right, okay. If you tell me to follow a road, for example, let's just say Ina Road. Oh, I'm driving down Ina Road, and then you turn right into the into the parking lot. That does me absolutely no good because I don't know which way you're traveling to go right. I could be traveling the other direction, and there's a left. It's very and we have to we have to do this all the time because people will tell you every single day that they're traveling north on I-10 to Phoenix. Well, it's not. It's actually west. The road actually says west on it because it, I get it. It looks like it's going north, and it actually does go north, but it's a westbound road. And if you think you put northbound I-10 in there, it's going to get all lost. It doesn't know that you mean westbound. So if you pull out the map and, 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 and look at the map, the overall picture, and say, hey, I'm in Tucson, and I want to go to Las Vegas, and I can see, oh, that I want to check I-10 I want to take I-10 to the 303, 303 to the 60, 60 to the 93, 93 to the 40, 40 to up to the 95, and we're in. Okay, if you if you realize all those roads and you see all the places that you can stop along the way for gas, uh, food, you know, it, sites, whatever you want to do, there's a lot of things that that take place by looking at an overall picture. I highly recommend that overall picture. Do not just put the thing in there and assume that it's going to get you there. That's a bad. That's a that's a bad decision. Just saying, because experience has taught me that people who follow that doesn't don't always get it right. And now you're, well, you didn't go. You didn't make a, a left at Albuquerque. You made a right, and now you're in the middle of nowhere, and you don't know where you're at. And that's really tough for anybody to find you. Even the search and rescue guys have to have you. You know, start calling them and, and looking at your phone. Even those guys can't see you because they don't know where you're at. And Lucy's going, "Hey, I'm at Milepost. Absolutely. I'm at Milepost, uh, yeah, I'm at Milepost uh, 203 on I-10. I was heading towards Phoenix. A, a guy can find you. Boom, done. I know exactly where you're at. Done. Uh, but so it's it's, um, it's those little the, things that that you need to be aware of. It's when they start taking the shortcuts, and if you pl uh, go into your GPS or your road mapping, and you you want the shortest route, okay, uh, instead of staying on a <clears throat> major freeway, all of a sudden you're on a little road, and you're traveling, <clears throat> and you're you have told your map what you want to do. You want to take the shortest route to get there because you're in a hurry. Uh, here. Numerous times I've heard on the news where people have been following their GPS and they wind up in the middle of the wilderness in Arizona. And then they don't know where they're at. The car breaks down and they're there. And one lady I remember that was there for like eight days uh, followed, followed her map, but she took the shortest route. So that's another reason where if you get lost out there, if you've got any battery left in your cell phone, you call 911 because they will record your GPS coordinates of where you're at. It may not have a road, but the helicopters and law enforcement are trained enough to where they can follow a GPS right to you. 
when you do make a 911 call and you're broke down in the middle of nowhere or your car starts back up again and you decide you're going to move again, okay, you got there's two two scenarios going to happen here. One, the car's fixing themselves as a rarity. Okay, they may have a module or something that heated up and they'll only run for so long and then it'll shut down again. Well, you're on the impression since I called 911, those guys know where I'm at. Yeah, as long as you stay there. But when you move, your coordinates changes, and then when search and rescue gets there, you're no longer there. Now it becomes a search instead of a search and rescue. It's got to be a search first, then Hopefully, they'll find you in time, and then it's a rescue. So when when you're doing that stuff, uh, I highly I highly recommend one of those little old cheapy roadmaps. I'm sure they're not cheap anymore. They're probably $5 a piece instead of $0.99 cents now. But um, still, it's a good backup to have because electronics has problems. If it didn't, you probably wouldn't be sitting on the side of the road. And... Uh, just it's just a little safety thing that you can have. And besides, that roadmap doesn't weigh that much. It won't really take that much energy out of the car to carry it along with you. Uh, so that is just a little safety tip uh, to try to help you navigate the roads in Arizona better. Now, I had a, a whole thing here on alternate energies that we're using in automobiles. And I one of the... Well, here, here, here's a selection of alt energies that we have right now available to us. We have biodiesel that they cut down. That's what all the green corn stuff and uh, IO and stuff is made for. It goes into biodiesel fuels. Um, you have electricity, which is your electric cars. You have ethanol. Uh, you have hydrogen. You have natural gas. And you have propane. So they've been working on this for a long time. They have been running propane on farm tractors since I can remember, and I am not a young chicken. Uh, they used these things back in the 30s. Uh, so propane's been around a long time. Electric, believe it or not, uh, the electric vehicles that we have now, they're, they're not the first. The first one's 1809 in France. And it had a 100-mile range on it. That was then in 1809. Of course, it was 25 miles an hour, but they had 100 miles on it. And so everything has evolved and is still evolving. Uh, hydrogen right now is really being uh, used a lot overseas in the U.K. because the ease of filling it up. You pull into a station, you fill it up. It's just almost as quick as gasoline. You fill it up, and then you drive off. And it produces more torque <coughs> than a gas motor. They're finding that out because they're tra testing it in some big over-the-road diesels because of the, um, the technology right now. Uh, the batteries have not quite caught up with what we need and over the road, so they're using that. So there is a lot of stuff that has been going on that is still going on on alternative energies for these vehicles. You have the flex fuel vehicles. Um, they're more similar conventional gasoline motors. They have internal combustion engines and are capable of gasoline or E85 
which is gasoline ethanol blend containing 51% to 83% of ethanol, depending on uh, geographics and the season, or a mixture of the two. However, many flex fuel vehicle owners don't realize their cars is a flex fuel vehicle and that they have a choice of fuels. They can run regular fuel or they can run E85. And right now, with the price of gasoline being up, a lot of people are trying to use the E85 because they pull up to a pump. That's the cheapest one. Yeah, it's E85. It's a gasoline. And they put it in a car that's older than a 2001 car. And then they're having problems in it with it because the ethanol is a lot drier than gasoline, and they have a seal issue. And so they're they're creating their own problems just out of ignorance, meaning lack of knowledge. So if you're going to run an ethanol fuel, you need to uh, go ahead and read up on it and find out what that stuff actually does and is your car, uh, is it set up for E85? Most of your cars that are set up for E85 have it right on the inside of the gas cap, the gas where the gas lid opens up, and it'll show E85. It shows E85 means that you can run regular gas or E85 in it. And if it's a 2000, the only thing is it don't say 2001 or later. And the one 2001 or later, some of them were going to that. They've already changed the seals and stuff in it just in case. And so there, there's a little secret behind that. If you're running biodiesel, you can run up to well, I run 99% biodiesel fuel in my Dodge. I don't recommend that because it's a 99 Dodge diesel, and it took me three fuel filters to get uh, through the first tank because it will clean a tank. That is the cleaningest stuff you can put in a fuel tank, and it will clean it out whether you want it to or not. It will clean it. So if you don't run the 99 when you first switch over to a biofuel. My 2018 diesel is set up to run 20% biodiesel in it. So, and that that's actually a, a smart thing for me to do because it'll keep the fuel tank clean. It keeps the system cleaner than than it would normally. And so, it has a it has a good uh, and its lubricating ability is better than regular diesel fuel if you run a bio. But you can run up or as little as 5% bio. 5%, believe it or not, is pretty much ideal for it because it takes the lubricity back in the fuel delivery system. It takes the lube inside back to 1985 specification where we used to run 3,000 parts per million. That's basically what the biodiesel does to an engine. The engine runs quieter. The fuel economy is the same. I found on my trucks, and it's a good way to keep the system running clean because it does clean the tank, it does clean the delivery lines, and it is good stuff. And But it's hard to find the 5%. Uh, Tucson Fuels over here on 22nd Street, west, well, not quite west, but almost west, about around 400 east, I think it is, is Tucson Fuels. You can go in and you can get 20%, you can get 5%, you can get 99%, but don't get the 99%. Uh, biodiesel fuel, 
has its own little problems. If you have biodiesel and they run across this in the Tucson buses when PAG was putting biodiesel in all the diesels here in Tucson, where they would sit over the summertime. And when they sit, and Colleen had told them, by the way, this stuff does not sit. So if you if these things are sitting over the uh, summertime, you need to put an additive in it. I forgot exactly what she told them they had to do, but they didn't do it. And then when it come time to get these buses ready for the routes at start of school, none of them would run right. And so they had to go in, clean them out, flush them out in order to get the diesels running like they're supposed to. If you're living up in North Dakota, they have a different, the biodiesel has a different freeze point. That stuff will clabber and look just like, uh, almost like grease when it sets up. And so you have all this garbage in there that because of the cold weather, extreme cold weather, it will not pump it through. So even in the northern states, she used to recommend if you're going to run them up there, you run them 50-50. You do not run a, 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 a 99% biofuel. You run a 20% or a 50% up in the colder weather. So it's it. There's everything has its little issues. That's the reason I don't get excited about the electricity and the electric cars now. You know, if they just as long as they're reporting the actual findings, I'm, I can I can live with that. But electric right now, the only problem that I know they're having with electric is one, the infrastructure's not set up yet. Uh, they're pushing it through. But I run across the infrastructure on diesel fuel when I brought my first diesel, so I'm used to that. Um, and then they're having mechanical failures at the charging stations. Mechanical failures mean somebody forgot to unplug it. Now, have you ever seen somebody drive off when the gasoline hose is still in the tank? Uh, that's a mechanical failure. That's because somebody ripped it out of the tank. And that's the type of problem to, that they're having with that. That's the only mechanical problem that I am aware of. And I'm sure since it is a, has electronics to go, it's electronic machine you pour, you, that you plug it into, there's going to be problems with it. That's just the nature of the beast. Nothing is 100% all time. Nothing. Uh, ethanol, uh, ethanol's good. It's alcohol. It burns uh, faster than gasoline. If you run straight ethanol in a vehicle, uh, we run it in a race car. We got 50% of what the gas, <laughs> what the gasoline was, but it runs cooler in the engine. And if you have a high compression engine, uh, it needs to run around 212 degrees is optimum to run the full ethanol in there. And you have to actually design your engine with the cooling system to try to get the temperature up to 212 degrees. Most race cars, you have to follow the engine and try to keep it down around 230, 240 degrees. Uh, but ethanol burns really good at 212, anything under that alcohol doesn't perform as well as gasoline. So hydrogen, that's brand new on the market. It is made by natural gas. Um, and that seems to be the thing that uh, UK has adopted over there that uh, runs, it produces more torque in their diesels. And they're happy with it because it is completely clean burning. 
And that is one thing that they're using over the electric right now. They don't mean that they're not going to use the electric. They just know that right now they've got to do something to get into the clean energy. And this is the alternative that they went with because of the ability to get this out and into the vehicles because it, it's the infrastructure thing again. Natural gas, uh, that is stored in a tank. It goes in, you know, uh, Tucson Electric, uh, I think they're running either electric or natural gas. They run a natural gas for a long time, and I'm sure somebody's got one. I think Big Al even has a natural gas tank that he fills up at his house, fill, uh, fills his car up at his house with it. And that is another way to go. And then you have propane. Propane, uh, I used to put those on gas-burning vehicles as a dual-fuel conversion. And what you do is you put, the, you put the kit on there. Brian Fuller does it, too. Still works on natural gas. Still works on dual fuels. And you ha when you do a dual-fuel conversion, you figure, okay, what primary fuel am I going to use? Well, I'm going to use propane because at that time it's a lot cheaper than gasoline. Right now, it depends on where you fill it up, whether it's cheaper. You know, it could be $6, $6.50 a gallon, depending on what tank you decide to fill up your little tank that you go camping with. And But you fill it up with uh, propane, and if you're going to run it on propane, then everything has to be set up to run on propane. Propane starts quicker. Uh, if you have a miss on a spark plug, it'll detect it before a gas will. It'll detect it three months before a gas will. And so you're going to run it on propane, you tune it for propane. What I did was I put it on a, a, a 79 Chevy. And it was a 350 engine, which had no guts at all. And I put it on. I took my I took my guy from uh, the drive shaft division, put him in it since he's a drag racer. Sent him to the racetrack. He run it through on propane at the quarter of a mile, and then he took it back, retuned it to gasoline, and run it through on gasoline. There was only two one hundredths of a time between the two fuels, so both of them work. But the propane, if you run out of propane, all you had to do is switch it over to gasoline. Yeah, it didn't run quite as good, but it run better than a car who went down on a, 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 a limp-in mode, limp-in mode. And so you still had power. It still would run. It still would get you where you're going until you could get into a shop. And, or if you were out someplace and you had the ability to retune it to the gasoline, you could run gasoline. I know people that that have a propane issue, they're running on gasoline three or four months before they'd even come in to have the propane retuned to propane. So that's the issue with some of the stuff. The fuel cells, I do have a lot of information on that in my hands that I can cover as uh, we get into the next hour if necessary, depending on, where, depending on where it goes. But right now, we're down to less than a minute for this first hour of the Simmons Car Care Show, Jim. Um so uh, we can just go ahead, and we, we're down to about 30 seconds now, so we're getting pretty close. So I think what I'll do is go ahead and close out this segment, uh, 719-1490, for any of your comments on the fuels, the alternative fuels, and we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening live to the Simmons Carcase Show. Okay. 